So we're in the fourth or fifth week of a series where Paul defines love. And we said that love is something that needs to be defined really bad because it's a really weird word, especially biblically it's a weird word because I'm, I'm called to love my wife, but I'm called to love my enemies. And that's really hard. It's the same exact word in the Greek. It's the word agape, and it's the usual word that's translated love. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with intentionality. It has to do with self-sacrifice. It has to do with making up your mind. It has to do with action. So when Paul lists all of these definitions of love, none of these have to do with feelings. All of them can be done whether you feel it or not. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says that love is patient. Now I guess it's, uh, if I wait a long time for patient feelings to come, I'll be waiting a long, long time, okay? But Paul calls me to be patient. And he says, if you, if you, if you want to exhibit love one to another, whether, whether it's to your wife or whether it's to your enemies, be patient, Mark. Would you be kind? Would you uh, not envy, not boast, and not be proud? And we've gone through those. Um, this week we'll be at this one, uh, these next two actually. Uh, sometimes this gets translated, uh, love is not rude. Um, love does not dishonor others is a fine translation. Love is not rude. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. And love never fails. Um, I chose to use rude today because um, rude is a word that we use a little more than, than dishonor others. Uh, in, in the Greek, when Paul wrote that word, he wrote a word that literally means uh, something contrary to acceptable behavior. That's, that's, that's the best English uh, definition we can give to that Greek word, something that is a contrary to acceptable behavior it's fascinating to me this is the verb form of the word he uses the noun form of the word in Romans chapter 1 when he's talking about homosexuality he said it's contrary to acceptable standards of behavior when we travel in foreign countries and I've had a little experience with that not a whole lot there's different customs when you go in foreign countries. And um, they won't do... Some things that we may do in the United States would not be customary to do in other countries or vice versa. Um, if you go to Italy, for instance, and they do something that we may do as Americans all the time, but it would be considered uh, out of place, not the acceptable standard of behavior in Italy, we would be, according to Paul, rude to insist that I'm going to do it my way no matter what. This is the way we do it in the U.S., and I don't care about what your Italians think of it. I'm going to do it that way. That would be absolutely breaking what Paul would say when he says love is not rude. Um, if Saudi in Saudi Arabia, in uh, Turkey, and one other country, and I can't remember what it, what it was, India, if you let out a big belch right after the meal, that's the biggest compliment you could give the cook. 
And that, that's, that's so out of the norm, out of custom for us, we laugh at it and can't even imagine that. So if someone from Saudi Arabia or India or Turkey, if they came over here and if they knew the deal, but they still let out a big belch after eating Sue's spaghetti, and they would think that would be a great compliment, but they heard that maybe it wasn't over here, but they said, well, it is in our country. I don't care what you Americans think. And so they just let it fly, man. We would consider that rude, right? And that would be the biblical definition of it as well. Doing something that is, is not the acceptable standard of behavior. There are people that um, would travel to the United States, and I'm sure there's customs in France or there's customs in Russia that are not customs here, may even be out of place here. They can't force themselves on us. Um, Self-expression at the expense of other people. Paul says it's rude. Paul said that uh, that is not love. Well, I don't care what they think about it. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what they think about it. I'm going to do it anyway. Some of you know that in parts of the body of Christ, Parts of the body of Christ speaks in tongues. Other parts of the body of Christ believe that tongues have ceased and are no longer for today. So if a tongue-speaking person would come into our church and we believe theologically that tongues was for biblical times and not for today, and if somebody would come in here and all of a sudden stand up and start speaking in tongues knowing that it is not our understanding of our acceptable behavior that would be considered rude likewise if I go to a tongue-speaking church and they start speaking in tongues and I stand up and I theologically explain to them why they shouldn't be doing that that would be rude according to Paul it would not be loving it would not be loving Paul, Paul seems to think keep your mouth shut about those things there'd be better ways to deal with that if it needs to be dealt with at all Paul says when, when, you're, when you're at a place or at a home or whatever it may be, you're not acting in love if you just express something or do something that you know that would offend or would be a non-loving to the other person, but you do it anyway because I don't care what they think. Now, that's what Paul says. Paul, Paul says, rein that in. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to do that here. Christians differ sometimes on, on, um, uh, on alcohol. And some Christians feel like then, you know, it's okay to have a glass of wine and with a meal and so forth. And other Christians don't feel like that's... So if I would, I would go to someone who, someone's house and, and being one who abstains and they would serve wine right in front of me there and knowing that it's not something that I would do or particularly think is Christian behavior that would be rude of them that would be rude of them and we could go on and on with definitions Paul says that that love is not rude uh, the love dare is a 40-day challenge for spouses or to be able to love each other unconditionally and there's a different love dare for 40 days you do something loving and on day five of the love dare is for one spouse to ask the other spouse tell me three things that I do that irritate you and we all we, we all have 
little things that irritate our spouses. Now, the, the, behind that is the fact that you've married something, you've married someone that does not have the same standard of acceptable behavior that you do. The, there's not 100% agreement in all of that. And so if I, as a husband, say, well, I don't care what she thinks. She may think that, it's, that's, that we're not supposed to do that or we should do that in our home, and I don't agree with that, and, and I don't care what she thinks. Paul said that would be rude, and vice versa for the wife. So I got all fired up and went to Sue and, and said, Sue, tell me three things about myself that irritate you. And she went and got her notebook and... I'm not going to tell you what the first two were because I don't have to share everything in the pulpit, you know. But the third thing was, she goes, I don't like it that you don't plan. You just kind of, because Sue's a planner. I mean, I've told you that. And she's just a planner. She, she's a list maker. She makes her list of ten things and scratches one off and makes a new list of nine. She just loves the list, you know, and... And she'll ask me on Wednesday, well, what are we going to do this weekend? I say, well, the weekend's not here yet. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'll take it as it comes. And, and you know, obviously you've got a calendar and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, what time we need to leave tomorrow? And, and I'll decide tomorrow, I guess. I don't know. And, and that bugs Sue. And... Um, you have to get over that, you know, by the way. <laughs> now, um, here's the real truth. That's, that's in my DNA, okay? And if I love Sue, I, I, will, I will bend my DNA a little bit toward her. I probably can't bend it as far as she'd like me to bend it. I probably just can't because it's my DNA. But if I love her, I, I will nod some in that direction. And... and, and plan a little better but I probably won't, won't ever get to where she and she would like for me to be because it's just not in my DNA and I but I can go her way and the Bible says that's a loving thing Sue has an acceptable standard of behavior that she operates under and for me just to say the heck with that I'll live any way I want to is not a loving thing according to the Apostle Paul Paul writes in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this, Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others as well. Can I tell you where this shows up a whole lot, friends? I don't get it. I really don't. You know, you, you know y'all know me, and, and yeah, you know, I've got my opinions as, as probably more than a lot of you have your opinions. And, but especially in the political arena, you know, my opinions don't agree with everybody and your opinions don't agree with me and you know but why do I see people calling people idiots I just don't get that I mean I just really don't get that why can't we just disagree here's where I stand on the issue here's where you stand on the issue I don't I, I disagree with you you sure don't agree with me idiot I mean why is that got to come into play I just don't get that I just I just don't get that. 
Why do I have to express myself in such a strong way at the expense of other person? And, and I just don't get that. Now, you know, if, if I express it right and, and, and they disagree with me, and, but I express in good tone of voice and with, with good words and stuff, and they get all bent out of shape about it, you know, that's, you know, I can't do anything about that, but I don't have to ag that on, and I don't have to call them an idiot, and if you don't believe that, then, man, you live on Mars or something like that. Shows up a lot, I think, in the political arena. Proverbs 27, 14 says this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Because at 7 o'clock in the morning, you don't go, hey, neighbor, while everybody else is still asleep. You don't crank your lawnmower up at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, because it's not acceptable standard of behavior. It would be taken as a curse. It would be taken as a curse. Uh, love does not dishonor others. Love is not rude. Love doesn't insist on self-expression at the expense of other people. Love doesn't insist on self-expression at the expense of other people. You know, we got this whole thing going on now with gender, and we're supposed to refer to people by a certain pronoun, and da-da-da, da-da-da. And, you know, I don't get that. I, I really don't get that, but I, I don't have... I can just leave without referring to them as some other kind of pronoun. I don't have to ag it on. I don't have to pour salt on the wound. I, I, don't, I don't have to self-express at the expense of the other person. I can just kind of walk out and scratch my head and say, I don't get it, but love is not rude. It's not the way we treat one another. Self-expression at the expense of the other person. At the expense. Paul said that's not loving. Paul said that's not loving. Uh, it, it goes on to say that love is not rude, love does not dishonor others, but it goes on to say that love is not self-seeking. Literally, if you, if you literally translated the Greek there, it says, love does not seek the things of itself. And, and, and always what I want into my best interest. It said love is not self-seeking. Now, there's a line in all of this, obviously, when I was in the hospital four or five weeks ago, or however long it was, obviously I was concerned about myself, and I, I pretty much said the heck with you all for three weeks, <laughs> you know, and went to the hospital. Okay, so, I mean, there's lines in all of that. But as we make our choices in life, as we desire things in life, as we choose to make commitments in life, is it all about me and what I want, or is it about other people that are around me as well um love do doesn't insist on its own way you know love doesn't take its ball and go home when it didn't get picked for the team you know it's not always about what i want and that that's that's so tough for us because we come out of the womb wanting what we want and we'll cry till we get it and we come out as selfish creatures. Now we grow older and that gets tempered a little bit because we don't want people to think that we're that selfish, but it's still latent in there, still in there, that selfishness. Dad used to talk about self all the time. He says, self will rear its ugly head in your life. Love is not self-seeking. 
the mother of James and John came to Jesus one day and <clears throat> so boldly asked, can one of my sons sit on the right hand and the other sit on the left hand when you come into your kingdom? Can you, can you imagine a mom doing that? She thought Jesus' kingdom was an earthly kingdom. And she says, can, 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 can one of my boys sit on your right and the other boy sit on your left? Can, can my boys be really influential people in your kingdom? Well, if you remember that story, the other disciples around there got all bent out of shape about that, probably because they didn't think of it first. But th this self-seeking reared its ugly head into the band of disciples, and, and Jesus had to nip it in the bud. And so right after, Mama comes and says, can, can one sit on the right and others sit on the left? Uh, Jesus is quoted in Matthew 20 as saying, anyone who wants to become great among you, Eric, you got that for me? Anyone who wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus saw this in his little group of 12 there, and he says, if I don't squelch this right now, well, this, this could really rip us apart right here. And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus saw that that self-seeking could really put harm into his little group of 12 there. And he had to step on that really quickly. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, whoever will deny himself. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. <laughs> you've got to deny yourself. That cuts home to me. How much do I deny myself? You know, how much do I deny really what I want for the sake of other people, for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my boys, for the sake of my church? Is it all about me and pleasing me and my schedule? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny something in you that is against the things of me. And we all know what that feels like. It's self. It's self. Raising its ugly head in our lives Again, the Bible says that love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking can show up in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our church. Selfishness or self-seeking can raise its head in traffic for me. Things of everything going my way and have to going my has to go my way. Jesus said, as you if you treat people around you like that, you're not treating them in love. You're not treating them in love. This self-seeking shows up as in our desires and, and really what we want. And as I was thinking through this, God convicted me. I'm, I'm retiring in about four years if things work out. And, and I'll be 67, and, you know, I don't plan about much, but I do plan about re my retirement because, you know, it's about me, you know. And, um, <laughs> and um, God, as I was working on this, God just says you're awful self-seeking when it comes to your retirement. And I, I didn't, say, didn't say that in an audible voice, but just I sensed it in my spirit. 
Now, obviously, when we retire, we, we do have some more times of leisure, and we don't have to put in 40 and 50 hours a week anymore, and so our life does change. But God just seemed to say to me, not an audible voice, but uh, how are you going to minister when you're no longer a pastor? Well, as, a, as a pastor, I have a call to minister. I have a call to pastor. There's a call in my life for that. Now, when I'm no longer a pastor and I'm just a regular Christian, regular Christians are called to minister in lots of different ways. Not minister like in a professional pastor way, but you're called to minister. And I will be called to minister. Now, Mark, you know, you want to go spend six months in Florida. How are you going to, you know... How are you going to minister down there on the beach, you know, or whatever that may be? <laughs> now, I, I don't think God cares that you go spend six months in Florida, but as, as I go down there, am I totally self-seeking down there? Is that all about me, or do I find some avenue to be involved in some way in ministry? Maybe not in a pastoral way, but maybe some church needs a greeter, and I could be the best greeter they've ever had. You know, God also convicted me. You know, as I plan for retirement, and we're going to have so much money from here and so much money from here, and I plan on doing, you know, some be interim pastors, you know, pa churches between pastors for six months or something, and they need somebody to go fill in. And, and that's ministry, and that's, that's good. But you know the reason I was considering that? Can I be, tell you how selfish I can be? And the reason I was considering that was more for the money instead of the ministry. That $1,000 or $1,500 a month that they would give me to go be an interim pastor for six or eight months, that would, you know, that would help us out. And I'll do that. I mean, I'll be an interim pastor at some places, I'm sure. And, but how am I going to minister in my... It's just self-seeking self if my retirement is just all about me and my leisure. How am I going to give to other people? I tell people this all the time, and I have to preach it to myself. What, what will I retire to? What will I retire to? Because people that don't retire to anything, they don't have happy retirement years. Because you need to feel productive as a human being. What will I retire to? What? My desire for leisure can weigh that self-seeking can rear its head. You know the verse here, Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What, what a marvelous verse of trust right there. He said, Mark, if you'll just seek me first, then I'm going to give you all these things. But what we do as human beings is we put all these things first because that's what we need. And God says, no, put me first. Put the things of me first and watch what I'll do. Then all these things will be given to you as well. What a marvelous verse of trust. Do I really believe him? Do I really believe him? Seek first. Now, seek first doesn't mean that seeking first doesn't mean that you that you have to go work the nursery or whatever. That, that, that doesn't mean all that. Seeking first just means as you live your life, it's all under the umbrella of God's lordship over your life. 
as I go to Walmart, as, as I go to the high state game. It's all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This, it doesn't mean I'm doing overtly Christian stuff all the time, but I'm living my life in such a way at Walmart, in Columbus, in Xenia, that I'm seeking first. I, you know, I've told you before, you know, and I wrote it, I'm, I didn't write it because I was a pastor. I wrote it because I want it to be true in my life. And on my Facebook page, I wrote, I'm a Christian first. I'm a husband second. I'm a father third. I'm a son fourth. I'm a brother fifth. And I'm a pastor sixth. The number one thing in my life is I'm a Christian. And my Christianity determines how I'm a spouse. And my Christianity determines how I'm a father. And my Christianity determines how I'm a son. And my Christianity determines how I'm a brother. Seek first the things of God, things of his kingdom. What's it mean to seek first? I want to share with you something that I've never shared. Don't think I've shared with you. Very personal thing, as personal thing as I've ever shared here. And some of you will probably be uncomfortable because it's, it's so real. But it's an example of seeking first. My brother, after 32 years of marriage, has come out as gay. Five, six months ago. He, he called me on the phone to tell me. And how was I to deal with that as a Christian? How was I to seek first during that phone conversation? Well, I uh, tried to deal with it with grace and truth. <laughs> I told my brother that I love him. I told him that he'll always be my brother. And there's nothing he can do to not make him my brother. I said, Dan, you're always welcome in my home. I tried to show love and grace. But I also showed truth. I said, Dan, you know what I feel about this. And you know what God, God's word says about this. You know where I stand on this before you ever told me. And Dan, while you're always welcome in my home, your partner's not. I would not allow that to be modeled for my boys. And in subsequent conversations that, and, and Dan, by the way, said, I understand. I know. And in subsequent conversations, uh, I've gone, been over backwards. I think I've seen him once since, once since he told me. And in subsequent conversations, um, I've um, been over backwards to be loving and gracious. I've told him that I love him more verbally than I probably, in the last six months, than I probably told him in the whole 59 years that I've known him. His son is getting married next week. It's going to be a very difficult wedding. Obviously, his marriage is, my brother's marriage is broken up. Tremendous hurt. Tremendous hurt. 
And to be honest with you, I didn't want to go to the wedding because I just didn't want to deal with the drama. That's about as honest as I can be. I told Dan that. I said, Dan, my desire is not to come to the wedding. But you're my brother, and he's my nephew. And it wouldn't be a loving thing for me to stay home. I'll be the only one there on the Atherton side. Dad's died. Mom can't go. Cousins and stuff. I, I think oh, there'll be one cousin, but it's not on the Atherton side. I'm doing that out of love, not necessarily out of a desire. Of, it's going to be really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. All everybody on on his ex wife's side of the family is as mad as they can be at him for and you get that. I get that. Because I've been loving and gracious to him, they think that I'm condoning his behavior. But I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I think it's the way Jesus would deal with it. My desire may be to stay home. I'm seeking first. Love is not self-seeking. Shows up in our desires, what we want. It also shows up in our choices. Also shows up in our choices. One of the most impactful things I think I could ever say to you and I think this is an original thought I, th I really think it is and I don't have too many original thoughts but your life is the sum total of your choices my life is the sum total of my choices choice plus choice plus choice plus choice plus choice plus a million other choices equals my life choice plus choice plus choice plus choice plus choice plus a million other daily choices equals your life well, that's not true because that's not true because some people they did that to me. That wasn't my choice. Yeah, but you had a choice how you were going to deal with it. Yeah, they did you wrong, but you have a choice on how you're going to deal with it. Self-seeking shows up in our choices. A powerful passage of scripture that I preached for 10 weeks on shows up back 5 or 6 years ago is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 19, God says, This day I, <clears throat> speaking to the nation of Israel, the leaders of the nation, God says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. He's just giving them the law. He says, I've set before you right here life and death, blessings and curses. That's, that's really what we have when we have God's word. God has set before us ways that our life can be blessed and ways that our life can be cursed. God has set before us life and death by our choices. He set that before us. And, and then, he get, then he tells us to choose. But he's not an innocent bystander because he says to the leaders of the nation of Israel, now choose life. God's pulling for us. The Father's pulling for us. Now choose life. There's lots of ways in this book you can choose life, but there's also lots of ways you can choose death. Choose life so that you and your children may live. Um, seeking, self-seeking can show up in the ch choices that I make. To always choose what's the easiest for me and 
makes my life more, more convenient. Paul said that wouldn't be loving other people. That, that would be self-seeking. As I finish here, self-seeking shows up in our commitments. Shows up in our commitments. You know, you have got to be committed to something in life or it's hard to live. It's hard to have a productive life if you don't have purpose and commitment in your life. I, I, know, I know people... I know drug addicts that are addicts because they're because they're bored and they have to be able to give some type of stimulant to their life. Your, your, your stimulation in life should come a lot from purpose and commitment that you feel in life. But if there's no purpose and commitment in life, then I've got to go to 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 drugs, I've got to go to alcohol, I've got to go to the TV, I've got to go to my cell phone, I've got to go one after the other. When you're bored in life with time on your hands, you make lousy choices. You need purpose. You need commitment. Am I committed to, am I committed to, to my well-being? Am I committed to uh, me and my wants and my desires? Or is there something beyond me that I'm living for? got to have something beyond yourself that you're living for. Now, I don't handle this very good because, because when things get busy, I, 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 go, I can go a million miles an hour doing it when I'm really busy. And there are a lot of things, like there is now, there's a lot of things going on. And, I've got, and I can go a million miles an hour. And if I go a million miles an hour for several months in a row, what happens? i got to crash. And Sue talks to me about that. She says, Mark, it's too much. You need to back off right now. You need to. But you know what I tell her? I always respond to her on that. I said, yeah, but I feel alive right now. You know why? Because I got purpose and commitment. I feel so alive right now. You know how bad it was during the pandemic when we just shut down? I didn't feel alive. Some of the things, the church, not all the, it's not, doesn't give me total purpose and commitment. There's other things that, that I feel very purposeful in life. Man, I just I feel alive because there's purpose and commitment. That goes back into that retirement thing again. What am I going to retire to so I have purpose and commitment in my retirement? So my retirement will be fulfilling instead I'm just waiting to die. Self-seeking can show up in our desires. Self-seeking can show up in our choices. Self-seeking can show up in our commitments. Psalm 37, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to preach a sermon series on Psalm 37 sooner or later. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. That's almost a seek first kind of verse. In Luke chapter 10, an expert in the law, that would have probably been a Pharisee, came to Jesus one day and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded to him and says, Well, 
What's written in the law? Jesus said. How do you read the law? And then the Pharisee answered, Well, to me it seems like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus complimented him for his response. Uh, there's, there's three little words in that. All your heart. Four little words. All your soul. All your strength. All your mind. That's a seek first kind of verse. That's a commit your way to the Lord type of verse. With all your heart. And that doesn't mean that I'm always at church. And that doesn't mean I'm volunteering in the nursery every single week. And that doesn't mean... It just means that your life is under the umbrella of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether you're at the football field or whether you're at Walmart or whether you're at Trunk or Treat. Each, each Sunday we come and remember Jesus' commitment to us. Uh, if he hadn't been fully committed to us, uh, we would be bound for a sinner's hell today. There would be no, there would be no eternal life for us. There would be no way of salvation, no way that our sins can be forgiven. None. Except for his total commitment to us. And when I look at my life, and I bet when you look at yours, we can see it's committed to us a lot, can't we? My pleasure and my comfort. And I get that, and, and, I, and Jesus doesn't condemn that unless that's the first thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then watch him give you all those things that you wanted. Commit your way to the Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love is not rude. And love is not self-seeking. I don't know where that hits you all today. I really don't. But I invite you to the altars, whether it's to the table, to the altar, or whether you want to receive communion right there at your table. I invite you to continue to worship during these next few minutes.